Net asset value or NAV lending is one of the latest trends in private markets. PitchBook, the Financial Times, and other outlets have issued reports on this type of debt within the last few months. Yet despite attention from the media, relatively little is known about it. That's because most NAV lending structures are privately offered to large institutional investors. Interest in debt structures has renewed in part due to the so-called denominator effect, with many investors' allocations to private markets bumping up against or even surpassing their policy limits Limited partners are exploring alternatives to maintain their commitment targets. Here with me to discuss the reemergence of NAV lending is Lisa Larson, a managing director on our portfolio management team. Lisa, welcome to RPM. Thanks, Michael. Delighted to be here. So, Lisa, let's start at the top. NAV lending or NAV based lending is one of those broad and ambiguous terms that can take on multiple meanings. Uh, what flavor of NAV lending are we talking about? That, that's a great question. That is such a rich area. And generally here we're exploring how institutional investors can think about adding leverage to their private markets portfolios. And importantly, why they would want to do that. You know, what portfolio construction puzzles does it solve? So specifically, I'll discuss adding asset-backed term debt. Yeah, that's a, a bit of a mouthful to diversified portfolio of private funds and private assets. And to put this in perspective, if you think of a typical line of credit, which most investors have experience with, uh, each dollar that's borrowed needs to be paid back rather quickly, uh, a year, six months, a quarter. These are kind of typical repayment timelines. And they're almost always backed by the credit quality of the investor. So then asset-backed term debt is essentially exactly the opposite of a line of credit. So it's longer duration and it has more interesting collateral. And what I mean by term debt is simply that, you know, it could be outstanding for several years. And, you know, NAV lending has already kind of indicated that we'll be exploring asset-backed lending, in particular using a portfolio's existing private markets funds and assets as the collateral to support the leverage. So in a nutshell, this is the corner of the NAV lending world that we'll hone in on here. Lisa, why now? I mean, these sorts of securities have been around for about 20 years, but only in the last few years has interest returned. Could you talk to our listeners about what dynamics are at play here? Yeah, sure. So some investors that have been regularly active in this market were kind of plain and simple, looking for higher return potential uh, on higher quality portfolios they had curated. So when you think about leverage, hunting for outsized return, is it certainly one of the first use cases to come to mind. However, given the market environment last year in 2022, as well as the outlook this year, Investors now have a few other use cases for leverage structures. And these are basically to help them maintain their allocation and liquidity targets. And so you already mentioned the denominator effect. We've all heard it mentioned quite a bit over the last uh, six months. And if your portfolio has you know 25% allocation to PE, but your target is 20%, you need to trim that 5% to get back on plan. And we all know that one way to trim allocation is through selling fund interest in the secondaries market. 
but discounts right now are a little bit painful. So, you know, this option is, is less attractive. And so leverage has risen as a second option. And so taking debt out on your portfolio generates cash that solves the overallocation problem. Uh, another challenge facing investors uh, is liquidity. So distributions in 2022, they were much higher than the GFC. I mean, it wasn't a crisis scenario uh, in private markets, but they were certainly lower than expected. And so this left investors with potentially less capital to meet upcoming capital calls. And one flavor of leverage that actually allows investors to you know, add leverage along the way uh, is particularly relevant here. So basically, when a capital call comes, uh, the debt holder would meet part of the capital call, the investor would meet the other part. And so your overall unfunded burden is lower and it makes planning around unfunded simpler. And so if two challenges weren't enough, there is also a third. Uh, and this can be caused by the denominator effect, liquidity challenges, or combination. And concretely is, you know, investors are facing constrained commitment budgets this year. And so they're basically facing the challenge that re-upping with their preferred managers in the near term is difficult. So from the academic literature, vintages that came just after a downturn, so 2002 after the tech bubble and 2009 after the GFC, they tend to outperform. So here, term debt can be used to generate the day one liquidity or to help make capital calls from the new commitments. And this would allow investors to maintain their relationships and their vintage year diversification plans. So I think in the past, returns are really a key reason to use leverage. And at the moment, it's shifted to allocation and liquidity planning. And this is really driving a lot more questions from investors about NAP lending options. It's really interesting. Um, so when I hear about, you know, structures like this, you know, I think of collateralized mortgage offerings or, you know, other and other CDOs, which, you know, depend on some level of diversification to to minimize risk. Um, how large does a uh, portfolio need to be? The answer is all structural elements are a discussion. Uh, there's a high level of customization that's possible in these structures to meet uh, investor needs. But at the end of the day, there are two parties that need to be happy and satisfied with the structuring. And it, one is the investor who holds the portfolio and the other is the party offering the debt financing. And generally speaking, yes, the portfolio needs to be large and diversified. So a typical portfolio will be sized kind of at or above 250 million with good mix of managers and no significant tail end exposure. Um, 20 to 30 funds is a common number. More is possible, less is tricky. Uh, again, all the discussion. So I uh, don't don't think if you have 19 funds, you, you need to sit on the sidelines. And then smaller investors, you know, for whom the like the 250 million is is a large um, kind of prohibitive number, you know, they can they can try to combine efforts with other small investors to reach those target sizes and diversification requirements as well. Next, let's talk about um, another, you know, hot topic, interest rates. Um, how has the heightened rate environment affected performance of, of these structures? 
Yeah, so the current interest rate environment generates a lot of questions. And I think the punchline is that if your portfolio's unlevered go-forward return is higher than the interest costs, then leverage helps performance. So um, if your unlevered return is, you know, a 10%, uh, then your levered return will be higher than that. And so the opposite is equally true. Um, leverage ha has both effects. So uh, levering up something that's above the interest cost is good. Levering up something that is below the interest cost uh, will lead to underperformance. And so you really need to look at that go forward return expectation, compare it to prevailing interest rates and, and make a decision based on that. And so within our portfolio management team, We've actually run a number of historical and forward-looking simulations. So like we said, every every structure is a little different, has its own waterfall, but you can get some information about how the cash flows look over time by running it on historical portfolios that are similar or building kind of a go-forward model as well. And so even if you start with a portfolio that has a modest um, TVM expectation, so maybe you know, 1.4, 1.5x go forward return, and you use kind of 50% leverage and an 8% blended interest rate, the, the levered TVM is, is attractive. So higher unlevered performance will just amplify that. So if you're kind of, if your portfolio that you're putting behind this is, is supercharged, then, then you'll do even better um, in terms of the levered performance. And so portfolio composition is really the key here. And in that sense, it's important to work with partners that can evaluate, you know, the funds, vintages, managers, and make the structure work. And, and I think that basically sums up the interest rate environment. It's, you know, even when interest rates were lower, uh, you, you wouldn't want to lever up just any any portfolio. And so really doing a careful analysis in terms of the quality and the cash flows is key. So the data here are, are sparse, right? These are privately negotiated transactions. Um, but do we have any sense of how active the market is currently? Yeah, so these are currently happening. So there are a number of these um, structures issued last year. Among them, for example, a $370 million portfolio with kind of 50 fund interests and 65% LTV. And we work with a number of investment banks who specialize in placing the debt. So they, they've they kind of shown us their, their active pipelines in 2023. And, you know, definitely LPs are pursuing these kinds of structures. Lisa, we've spent a lot of time talking about sellers. So for my last question, I'd like to talk about the buyers. How do potential buyers get comfortable enough to take part in one of these transactions? So I mentioned earlier in passing that there are two parties that need to be satisfied for this structure to work. And we've focused on the investor who holds the private portfolio. Um, there's also, you know, the party or parties that offer the debt financing. And so for them, uh, getting comfortable with the debt means that they are certain that the downside protections are robust. Uh, for example, even in an adverse market for private equity, the debt holder will still receive their contractual interest payments. And so, I mean, how concretely would they get this certainty? I think the main way that they do it is by relying on rating agencies to perform 
stress tests, as well as baseline analyses of the portfolio and the waterfall structure. And the rating that they come up with then reflects kind of how robust the portfolio is through the cycle. And I mean, notably rated structures like this have endured the GFC, which had relatively um, low distributions compared to the, the market average. And so at StepStone, we are deeply committed to tracking data and using data in all quarters of our business. And in this case, we track the underlying holdings on thousands of funds quarterly. And this company by company view allows the debt investors an additional detailed health check on the portfolio. Meaning that they can evaluate the managers and then the underlying companies, right? Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, the rating agency, there is kind of, there are these uh, portfolio level kind of scenario analyses, but if you really want to go line by line, uh, this the stepstone data is really helpful there. Lisa, is there anything that we missed um, that you want that you want to talk about? I think this is probably enough to to get people started. I, I hesitate to say uh, you know anything more about asset backed term debt, which is a mouthful <laughs> in this short session. But we're more than happy to discuss more of the details and some you know case studies and examples as as needed and as interested. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Be well and hope to see you again soon. Thanks, Mike. That does it for this episode of RPM. To learn more about our NAV lending solutions, contact any one of us here at StepStone. RPM is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. (laughs) 